Mark, a full slate of football this weekend, and when you talk about college football, high school football, professional football, whatever it might be, you have dialed up in your Rolodex a guy that has his finger on the pulse of as much of it as anybody that we could find, right? He's Greg Gregstraw. He joins us every Friday on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Good morning, Greg. How you doing? I'm doing good, fellas. How are we doing today? Doing great. Uh, so starting off the Friday night football slate, you are on the call for Ben Davis, Warren Central, correct? That is correct. What are you looking for in that game tonight? I'm looking for a lot of offense. You know, this is a, this is a Warren Central team that's 2-2. Two and two. Uh, They've struggled at quarterback. Their expected starting quarterback this year transferred to New Pal, so that has kind of thrown them off. Yet they have a very talented senior class, and they are exceedingly deep in terms of running the football. They are averaging about 260 yards rushing a game. They've got three or four really different senior tailbacks uh, in, in Harris, in Johnson, in Baskerville, guys that can run the football, and they have an exceedingly talented couple of receivers led by senior Joe Walker, who is going to be a, a Division One talent. Uh, and so, you know, for Warren, it's kind of a, a team that needs to find their stride, and if they can avoid making mistakes offensively, they're going to be tough to beat. But at the same time, Ben Davis is a team that I think is a really solid team. You know, they're 2-2. Two and two, but their two losses are to Ben Davis and Brownsburg in one-score games, and Ben and and and, and Brownsburg and Center Grove are, are teams that I think maybe the top two teams in the state. Cathedral's in that group. I don't think Ben Davis is far from that group. So um, you look at the records; you're not overly impressed by them. But I think these are both teams that are clearly top ten teams, and in a year where there is such parity in six A. These are two teams that can be a factor come tournament time in October and November. Greg, I've got a couple of other high school games I want to ask you about, but um, we'll table it for right now because I do want to ask you this. Between DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore, Michael Pittman Jr., three pretty big players that we're talking about here for the Colts that have shown up on the injury list, which of those three to you is the most indispensable? Michael Pittman Jr., just because of the disparity between him and anybody else the wide receiver position. You know, when we talked about last week's game and the way that it played out, we said, hey, there, there's a couple of things you point to and say, hey, th these guys played exactly as I thought they would. Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. You know the ball was going to go to 11 a lot, and he still had nine catches for 121 yards. And so, yeah, okay, Kenny Moore and, and DeForest Buckner are pro bowl slash all pro level defensive players. But the Colts at least have other guys that can, to some degree, replicate what those guys can do. You've got a Stephon Gilmore. Um, you know, you've got a Grover Stewart uh, that, that that can help, you know, spell those guys. Uh, you, haven't, you don't have anybody close as a receiver to Michael Pittman Jr. at this point. So I don't like the prospect of not having any of those three guys in the game on Sunday. But the guy that concerns me the most is Pitt. I'm not saying, Greg, that this is going to happen. But it's sports talk radio, so we deal a little bit in hypotheticals, right? Hypothetically, sure. the Colts go to Jacksonville and struggle, and Michael Pittman either does not play or is not 100% healthy, and so the passing game struggles as a result. Does Jim Ursay go to Chris Ballard and go, hey, man, what are we doing here? In terms of like looking for help at the wide receiver position, in, in terms in of terms you of, knew, in terms of you knew what this game meant to me as the owner, and you knew because you yourself mocked radio hosts about talking about wide receiver, a position that you did not address, and now in the game that means the most to me at this point in the year, it was jeopardized because we have no depth at receiver. 
I think if this team struggles in Jacksonville, there will be. There will be there I don't be think anybody's getting fired, Greg. I want to say that. Let's. I mean, but but do you think conversations begin of what are we doing here? Uh, I, I, if this team struggles, I think those conversations begin. Period. I mean, just 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 because of you know this was we can talk about it in the media. It's different those that work in football, those that own football teams have been around it all their lives. Um, you know, we expected two and zero because the Texans and the Jaguars had won a combined seven games last year. Um, if this team does not come out way with the first two games with a victory, there's gonna be plenty of conversations happening at West 56th Street. Period. Yeah, I, you know, it's you're right though, Greg, because of who it is, right? I mean, I hate like there's no way that you start the first two weeks without a win between those two, right? They're already halfway to accomplishing that feat, but there's no way they don't go down and win, right? Right. Correct. And 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 again, it it, it replicates the problems that you've had um, continuously, seemingly for the last decade in terms of slow starts. Now, oftentimes, 0-1 has been followed with 1-1. Clearly, that was not the case last year as 0-1 became 0-2 and then became 0-3. But one of the things that you will hear Frank Reich in press conferences or any head coach in a press conference talk about is when you are handed a slate of division games early in the year, um, you know, that, that is to some degree found money because you can win those games. You know, you put yourselves in prime position to host a playoff game early in the season by being the best team in your division. So if you get handed five division games of your first seven and your first two, albeit those on the road, if you struggle in both of those, you know, playoffs are still a possibility. Shoot, there's 15 games left to go in the season. And given the fact that it's the AFC South, a home game still a playoff possibility as well. But when you could have set yourself up to potentially be 2-0 and and you wouldn't say have the division by the scruff of the neck, but at least be the leader in that group. And if that's not going to be the case after the first two weeks against perceived lesser competition, that's a problem. I think that's why there's even more pressure to get the win on Sunday because not only is it a division game, it's a place where you've struggled. Then look who's up next, Kansas State Chiefs. And they, they look as good as advertised once again. So I think you really need to get out of Jacksonville with a win here to to feel good about yourself. Um, we talked about wide receivers, Greg. Uh, Greg Rekstra joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline on Kevin and Query. Uh, one receiver that won't be giving some help, it appears, would be T.Y. Hilton, the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium banner now accompanied with a thank you for the memories uh, message. What's your favorite moment of the T.Y. Hilton career? Uh, the catch against Kansas City in a playoff game. Has to be. Um, you know, second of that would be the fact that he's the, the mayor of Houston. Um, but, but the, the comeback, the stage, the absolute dime throw by Andrew Luck. So if I pick one moment, it's the playoff winning against Kansas city in January of 2014. You think we've seen the last of T Y Hilton in an NFL uniform? Potentially. I still think that somebody will call him when injuries hit a wide receiver room at some point in time during the course of this year. Um, I think it had to be the right situation to get him to leave here watching his son, Eugene, you know, play football at Zionsville. But I got to think that somebody's going to be giving him a call at some point in time as you see more injuries position around the National Football League. And it would be a 317 area code, I don't think. No. No, if you're going to put thanks for the memories on the sign outside of the stadium, I I, kind of think that that tells you that it's not going to be here. 
Greg, I truly do think, and you know, I, this will stun you. Greg Rakestraw is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. This will stun you, Greg, to know that, like, at times, I'm not, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but, like, I always try to analyze both sides, right? This stuns yep. you, I know, right? Yeah, this is not news to me, yes. Um, the Colts in particular being, at, and, and listen, I, I don't know how much interest the Colts would have had in bringing back T.Y. Hilton, but the Colts putting the banner up saying thanks for the memories. I mean, that, that, that basically officially shuts the door unless you want to have like the world's biggest omelet on your face. That said, um, I think the Colts know that T.Y. Hilton probably has indicated to them that T.Y. Hilton is totally cool sitting at home and watching football on Friday nights. Right. Right. And you got to remember, like no one has talked about T.Y. Hilton's side of it. I don't, I think T.Y. Hilton himself probably is like, I'm good. Like, I think he took a couple of weeks, a month, whatever it might be. And Greg, you know as well as I, I mean, we work in an industry that, you know, me more inconsistently than you, but there have been times where you go with ebb and flows in terms of availability of what we do. And sometimes you come to a piece when things aren't coming your way from a work standpoint. And if you're financially, if you're okay with it, I get it, right? So here's what I'll, what I'll reference. You know, T.Y., you know, got hurt last year at the end of the preseason in, in a training camp. And it took him, what, five, six weeks in terms of getting back on the active roster and, and clearly did not have a, a, a good year last year. You want to chalk it up to Carson Wentz, fine. Chalk it up to the offense, fine. Um, but, but T.Y. had a pretty open press conference. I forget exactly when it was. It was on a Thursday out, out at the Colts complex where he was very open talking about, hey, I was starting to have pain issues and I was starting to worry, hey, do I need to shut this down now? So he already had kind of went through that process of starting to come to grips with, I might not be playing in 2021, let alone in in, in 2022. Uh, And so when your mind has already kind of started to wrap itself around, hey, I I see the end of of my football journey here, I think it makes it a much easier call when you don't go through the off-season workouts, you don't go through minicamp or training camp, et cetera, I think that process almost started 12 months ago, if not more than 12 months ago, for T.Y. Hilton. You know, he is part of the rare few. He got 10 years in the National Football League and got it with one team. Didn't have to move his kids. You know, you know obviously, Eugene be, being in high school now, you know, all they've known is living here in Indianapolis. That's rare. Um, you, know, we, you know, the amount of money these guys make, you know, you tend to go, hey, you know, boo-hoo, you know, you can pay for movers, you know, if you have to move, whatever. But it's kind of nice. You don't have to do things like that. So, again, I, 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 you make a good point. I think T.Y. is at peace now. If an NFL team calls, again, it could be having a different conversation. And, frankly, as it gets later in the year, where you put yourself through less wear and tear, less exposure to injury. And again, if it's a playoff team, I don't think he's going just to play, but it's a playoff team that has a chance to do something special. It might be hard to turn down that chance at a ring, but if nobody calls, I think T.Y. is going to be smiling uh, because he knows he had a heck of an NFL career here in Indianapolis. I think you hit the nail on the head right there, Greg. Uh, Shaq Leonard, back-to-back days of full participation in practice. Do you expect him to suit up on Sunday? I got to expect that means he's a go uh, because basically if you're practicing Wednesday and Thursday, Friday's a walkthrough. Uh, and so if you made it through full practices each of the first two days, you know, you're not going to be, you know, affected by something that happens on Friday. 
So you got to think he's a he's a go. And, and again, you know, back to your first question of the conversation, I think that some degree that softens the blow if Buckner can't play or if Kenny Moore can't play, because now you're bringing back your biggest playmaker defensively in terms of Shaq Leonard. So no, if, if he's if he's full go Wednesday Thursday, I don't see a scenario where he's not playing on Sunday. Greg, here's the most important question of the week. Okay, the yep. most important question of the week. Yeah, and that is. My man in Shelbyville, Jeremy, his daughter tonight makes her debut as the bear mascot, which is actually my dream in life. If, if I just want to be a mascot one day, and if I could be the Shelbyville Golden Bear, my life would be beyond complete. I don't want to take the gig away from Jeremy's daughter, but I'd love to do it sometime. Maybe just go to like the Cow Palace and shake hands and stuff as the bear. But can Shelbyville make it two in a row? They got Greenfield Central. Greenfield Central is is improved. Travis Nolting has done a good job at Greenfield Central. In years gone by, this would be a match of a couple of programs that are struggling. Uh, but Greenfield has turned the corner. So uh, I think they can be competitive. But I would imagine the Cougars come out on top with a victory tonight. Okay, how about this one? Uh, Shortridge taking on Ritter. I think Shortridge might still be looking for its first win. Let me confirm. No, I take that back. Uh, wow, Shortridge has two wins. They beat Washington twenty six nothing. They're coming off a win against Tenley. Uh, short widget, short wid. I can't even say it. Short ridge at Ritter. They're going to go two in a row. They're going to go two in a row. Um, this Did, is so a Ritter Ritter's program. That Ritter is, tried to. Sh- Ritter. They almost shut down, didn't they? Correct. So they played last week. Their their big rivalry game was last week against Speedway, and Speedway won handily. The week before, Ritter was supposed to play Brebuff, and frankly, didn't have enough healthy bodies to field the team. So amazingly that program has fallen on hard times quickly because they're not that far removed from being a state championship team. I want to say 2015, 2016 was the last time that, that Ritter won a, a, a two, a state championship for whatever reason. Um, you know, my good friend, Ty Hunt, formerly the football coach, no longer on the staff at Ritter. That's happened the last couple of years and seemingly football has taken a nosedive at Ritter. So um, in most years you take the Raiders on this one, I'm riding with the Blue Devils. Now, you are ready for North Central to shock the world tonight, get their first win at Center Grove, right? Probably not. Um, <laughs> Hail our I, Panthers, I, I, Greg. Come on. Hats off to thee. I, 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 I wish them good health and good success. This is probably not the week the W's coming for the Panthers. The issue with Ritter, by the way, is because they're all working part time at the ice cream shop, so they can't. That's right. Practicing at the That's football right. field and custard the ice cream is shop. what it is, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Rexstra is going to be on the t- call for Ben Davis at Warren Central, which is on our air at seven o'clock tonight. Check that out, Greg. Your biggest takeaway from the high school football season to this point: who's impressed, who has disappointed? Well, it, it, again, you heard me say repeatedly: six A uh, is 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 wide open. This was this way three years ago when Center Grove, with playing a lot of sophomores and juniors, were 4-5 and five during the regular season and made it to the state championship game where Carmel won the state title. Um, I'm not saying a team that's 4-5 and five is going to make the state championship game this year, but they might, uh, just because I, I don't think there's a huge gap between the top six or seven teams locally in, in 6A. What Center Grove has done is very impressive. Uh, and, and I liken it to a group that I had experience with. Go back to about 17 years now uh, I did the Ron Colley games for four years and Ron Colley had a run that where they won three straight state championships 02 through 04 04 was kind of the last year 
for the guys that had big-time Division One talent, guys like Jason Warner that played at Purdue and Pat Coons, who went on to play at Notre Dame and played briefly in the National Football League, Tim Sergio, part of that group as well. That group had Division One talent. The next group had some very talented players, but not that level of athleticism. And that group made it to the state championship game too. And in part, I chalked it up to you had three consecutive years of five extra weeks of practice. And that pays off by the time you're a senior. And and I think just as importantly, you have you don't know what it's like to lose. And that's really been the case for this Center Grove squad. They're also playing for their head coach. They've got a unifying factor in Eric Moore, um, who is kind of going through a cancer fight, uh, you know, for a second season in a row. So for all of that, even though so much talent graduated off of that Center Grove team last year, the kids that are there are, are battling their butts off. Their only loss was to Louisville Trinity. No shame in that. And it was a close game down in Louisville as well. So Center Grove has been really impressive. Again, 6A, though, is, is tremendously parity-filled. The other thing I'd say is this. I do think a couple of contenders have emerged in both 3 and 4A. You know, what New Pal has put together, again, they are stacked. And, again, they are big. And they have been beating up some really good football teams. They go to Pendleton Heights tonight. But the fact they've got wins over Westfield, Decatur Central, and Houst, the defending 4A champs in Mount Vernon, who was a little down from what they were a year ago, uh, but beat them 42-6. to That catches your attention. And, and I think just by way of whom they have played, uh, I like Chittard's chances in 3A. Basically, it's been a case when Chittard's been in 3A, they've been really good. When it's been in 4A, they've been competitive, but not as dominant. And so from a local perspective, it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about Chittard and New Pal as state champs. Obviously, Ron Colley is a team that thinks they've got a shot at New Pal and would see them by the time we got to the regional. Greg, does the Shelbyville Golden Bear have a name? Do you know? Uh, I would assume it goes by Shelby, but I don't know that for sure. So um, my, my, my knowledge of Shelbyville Golden Bear Athletics is they play in the Bill Garrett Gymnasium. Yeah, that's right. After the first yep. African-American player in the history of Indiana University, led Shelbyville to a state championship back in the day. Uh, and there is this huge Golden Bear water tower yeah. right next to the high school. Because basically that's the road right. turns left, that would be 44. If you go straight to the water tower, use it like the North Star, that's how you get to one of the my favorite roundhouse gyms, the Bill Garrett Gymnasium. I actually, I did, I've done a couple of football games at Shelbyville, but it's been five or six years at this point. I wonder if, if we could petition. Shelby's probably right. If it's not named, I mean, what about just Jake? I lived there. Sure. Right? Jake the sure. Bear. I mean, the, here, here's, the, here's the great thing is, Jake, given – what you make it from both now Radio 1 as well as from the IndyCar Radio Network. So you could be a, a huge program donor. And I am sure that for a <laughs> substantial fee, That's right. you, could, you could both be the bear for a night and then rename the bear in perpetuity. I'm, I'm, like, so, that, I'm like that Hoosier hysterics guy. I'm running around smoking cigars, making happy foot dances about Shelbyville Athletics, right? So here's what I would do for my friends listening in Shelby County. Think of some sort of donation with at least four digits left of the decimal point. <laughs> Reach out to Jake, and it's now Jake the Golden Bear, and Jake will actually be the Golden Bear at some point in time. Later. I'm telling you, I just want to go to Compton's Cow Palace and, and sh like shake hands and fist bump little kids that are getting Sundays at Shelbyville. That's it. That's and all you, I want to do. One day. Think the kids would like that, or you would terrify the kids. Oh, terrify! Of course, that's the whole okay. point. That's I mean, the. You're that's not doing any gymnastics. You're not limber enough to do let, that. I don't think. No. Let, let, let me let me in, let me change the name here. Let, let me take kids out of the equation and insert Derek Schultz. If Derek Schultz was at the Cow Palace, would you be entertaining him or would you be terrifying? Terrifying, him? of course, a hundred percent. 
I would I be walking would... around. I would look a little bit like Greg Brady when he had, when he got to wear the dog outfit for one day at the Kings Island. That's what that's how I would walk around. Just <laughs> just walking around would be awesome. Greg, Absolutely we'll awesome. Do our best to bring, we'll do our best to bring our ISC network cameras and, and capture that on video if given the opportunity. Greg, before we let you go, prediction for Sunday. Colts winning a close one. Um, but again, I, I am I'm concerned by what I saw on Sunday. I'm concerned about what I see on the injury report. Because, again, that went from zero to 60 quickly. You know, we had talked about all preseason. And even the first week without Shaq Leonard, hey, this is a remarkably healthy team. Well, it's still not exactly a lot of injuries, but it's to, it's the key players. And, again, if, if, if there's no Pittman on Sunday, I'm nervous just because of, of that just gives Jacksonville every opportunity to put eight and nine in the box and basically say make somebody other than number 28 beat us. I think there's a lot of nervous fans heading into Sunday. Greg Regstraw, we appreciate the time as always. ISC Network's Greg Regstraw, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. You got it, guys. Can you imagine if I got to wear the bear outfit just once? I mean, I would like to see it. Those things stink. You ever put on a mascot outfit? I you need outfit? to bring – I mean, I've yeah, my, my college room, one of my college roommates was, uh, was the Greyhound. Really? Yeah. Did you ever put the mask on? No, he didn't. Did he ever like wear it to parties? No, he brought it though. He he brought it like to the. I don't think he was supposed to bring it to yeah, the dorm. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. You mean like he just brought it like it was? Like no, he brought it, it to the dorm. Like we we were just hanging out. He's like, hey, here's the here's the Greyhound mascot. Did anybody put the head on? I didn't want to because I I know that those things usually stink. Correct. And I was I avoided that. Okay. I Ta- I would have been tempted though. No doubt. But time not, for a morning checkdown. Not enough drinks on me. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You know, there's a thing on HBO. There's people that, like, get all into the mascot stuff. Oh, the furries? Yeah, I well, know all about that. <laughs> Excuse me? I don't know about it personally. Not personally. Is there something we need to know? <laughs> Not what, personally. What exactly did you buy at Bucky's? Not personal. Hey. If they have those kind of outfits, well, I, I mean, might splurge. <laughs> Come no, on. No, I know of them. I should I should preface that. I know wow. of them. I haven't I haven't personally Look, participated. Learn something new every day. I've seen the shining though. There's that one scene. Never mind. All right, baseball <laughs> scores. <laughs> that was awkward. The Reds topped the Cardinals. Which, three. <laughs> the Reds topped the Cardinals three to two. White Sox get a must win against the Guardians eight to two. Rays blank the uh, Blue Jays eleven nothing. First time. All nine position players were of Latin-born descent. The Diamondbacks blanked the Padres for nothing. New York Mets over the Pirates seven to one. Marlins edged the Phillies five to three, and the Indianapolis Indians fall to the Toledo Mud Hens twelve three. College football slate this weekend full cast of games starting with Ball State chirp chirp taking on Western Michigan. That's going to be up in Muncie two o'clock kick. Indiana taking on Western Kentucky, and for Purdue. It is a road trip. By the way, Notre Dame taking on Cal, the Golden Bears. Uh, there's another bear opportunity right there, right? They're, I mean, they're longing for you. If you were dressed as the bear on one of those HBO specials, are you bare naked? I don't know. Are you playing okay. bare naked ladies over your loudspeaker, too? <laughs> it's one week, right? Yeah. Uh, Purdue taking on tomorrow the Syracuse Orange up in Syracuse. The Carrier Dome, if that's what they still call it, kind of tricky in terms of the lighting, the noise. Question is, Jeff Brom, did you actually have to, like, prepare for the weird conditions when you're playing at Syracuse? 
We uh, asked around, and the word we got back was it was fine. I think they got new lighting, and from what I heard, they, they showed us a picture. It looked fine. I, I, I don't think that'll be a problem. You never know until you get there. But, uh, you know, I, I think the noise is probably the, the main concern and uh, the ability to have to, you know, use a silent count uh, probably throughout most of the game. Speaking I of lights, Jeff Brommer, I think it was Jeff Brommer, Jiminy Cricket. Well, that's in the what background. I was going to say. He, the, speaking of lights, they actually talked to him there during a camping outing. <laughs> Darn, yeah. The sound might be different. <laughs> I heard a cricket. Typical New State Park, right? Uh, you heard us mentioning it with Greg Reister in terms of the Colts' injury report. DeForest Buckner did not practice yesterday due to a hip injury. Neither did Kenny Moore. Michael Pittman also did not practice yesterday. That's because of a quad. Now, the question is does that mean that those guys are feeling a little more ginger, or are they starting to nurse back and they thought, you know what, let's go ahead and not force anything on Thursday? That remains to be seen with practice today. Alec Pierce did yesterday have limited participation. He is in the concussion protocol. So that's where things stand in terms of the health standpoint. In terms of Jacksonville, we're going to get the standpoint from the Jags, not only from a health standpoint, but just in terms of the way they're playing. We're going to do it next, right, Mark? Yep. ESPN Jaguars reporter Mike DiRocco. He joins us next. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. You're listening to Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. By the way, I don't know what I was thinking. I completely misspoke. I apologize. Regret it. Ball State take on Murray State. I think I said Western Michigan. Ball State and Murray State. That's going to be 2 o'clock tomorrow at Schumann Stadium up in Muncie. 2 o'clock kick. Uh, tickets available still online. You can find at, uh, again, for Ball State and Murray State, 2 o'clock um, tomorrow. Okay, so on Sunday, it's going to be the Colts and the Jaguars in Jacksonville. We're going to go down to Jacksonville right now. Joining us on the Payless Liggers guest line from ESPN Jacksonville is Mike DiRocco. And Mike, uh, I want to begin with this. We were talking earlier in the program about the young, talented quarterbacks in the AFC. Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Mac Jones. I mean, it's endless. Um, have we started to see glimpses that Trevor Lawrence will indeed also be one of those in that category by the time it's all said and done? Yeah, I think you see glimpses that he could potentially join that. There's still a lot of questions about Trevor Lawrence down here in Jacksonville, um, you know, about how fast he's able to get through his progressions, his accuracy. Um, you know, he's he's missed some easy throws that he should make. 99.9 times out of 100, uh, including, you know, one that cost him a touchdown last week on a wide-open wheel route. So, um, physically, talent-wise, that all that stuff is there, absolutely, 100%. He's every bit as talented as Herbert and Burrow and, and those kind of guys. Um, it's just, you know, there's still some uncertainty about, you know, whether he's going to get to that level, uh, you know, and, and he's better equipped to do it this year for sure than he was last year, but got to see it and got to see it consistently. And that's something that Doug Peterson has talked about pretty regularly. That sets up for my question. Uh, what is the team vibe from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson? Is it drastically different or is it basically the same or how, how are we going with this one? If it were basically the same, I think they would burn the stadium down <laughs> at this point. In well, they just renovated um, that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it is one one eighty. I mean, it's a complete and total flip. And and everybody, you know, multiple players have told us, hey, look, the culture is so much better here. Um, you know, people inside the building, not just you know in the football side, but marketing and sponsorships and ticketing. And you know, they've talked about how 
you know, wonderful it is to be able to come into work and not have like a sense of doom hanging over their heads. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's just a, a complete and total reversal. And, and the, the franchise is energized. Um, it, it's it's hard to to really like people tell me all the time, as bad as you think it was last year for about everything, it was even worse. So it's like, okay, well then give me some examples. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I really can't talk about that, but just trust me, it was worse. There'll be books about that in like 10 years, probably. Oh yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's such a, a, an optimistic feeling around here and, you know, in the locker room, you got guys coming, they want to be to work, come to work. They're, they're not, dreading coming into the office and and if you're a football team where your players and your coaches and staffers are dreading coming into the office every day how the heck are you gonna win games you just can't and, and that is totally changed under doug peterson with that in terms of the offensive schemes that jacksonville seemingly is going to try to get a uh, turn towards this year mike travis Etienne, you know obviously last year was hurt He's kind of a safety blanket type player to allow Trevor Lawrence to get his footing because they're familiar with one another from their days together at Clemson. And there's been a lot of expectation that this weekend is kind of the breakout weekend for Travis Etienne. But yet, it looked like in week one, maybe he was scaled back a little bit and he's going to be a by-committee guy. Where do things stand in terms of Jacksonville's offensive schemes with the Colts? Well, you know, I, there there wasn't – a, a firm expectation of what they were going to get out of James Robinson last week. Um, that was because, you know, he, he had done, you know, almost only individual work for 90% of camp team worked for only a week, didn't play in any preseason games at all. Hadn't gotten any contact, wasn't in great football shape. You know, there's a difference between good shape and football shape. So they really weren't sure what they were going to see from him in the opener. And he surprised them with how good a shape he was in and how effective he was. So they really kind of, rode him maybe a little bit more than, you know, they were thinking they might be able to. So that kind of, you know, maybe impacted things a little bit. But, uh, you know, they're going to take – I mean, that, that's – it will be a committee approach for sure because those two guys were almost 50-50 in the snaps last year or last week. Um, they will at times have them both on the field at the same time. But the difference, you know, they're going to move Travis Etienne around a lot more. He'll line up in the slot. He'll line up outside. Um, you know – Doug Peterson was asked about the run pass balance this past week. And he was like, yeah, I'm not really concerned about it because they threw it 42 times. And I think they ran it less than 20. Um, you know, his thing was like, look, the plays were there. We had plays called that we could have made and we didn't. And, you know, it, bottom line is if those may, they make those plays, no one's talking about the run pass balance, but you know, it's going to be interesting. I think it'll be more of a matchup thing week to week, too, if they feel like they can exploit some more things with ETN outside. I think that's what they'll do. But, you know, James Robinson is RB1. That is unquestionable at this point after last week. Now, I don't think we're going to see a game where James Robinson is carrying the ball 20 times because they will mix an ETN. So, um, you know, they'll both play and uh, both play a lot. And if they can find a matchup that they can exploit and get ETN on a linebacker, um, then that's what they're going to do, and they're going to try and take advantage of that, which they did against the Commanders, and Trevor Lawrence just missed the throw. It should have been an easy touchdown, and he just missed it. I always like Robinson. I always thought he was an underrated back in the league. Uh, speaking of the offense, almost fun, 400 yards of offense against Washington. Uh, it seems to be there's optimism, despite the week one loss, that the offense could keep humming. Yeah, guys were open. Wide receivers were open. 
And it was refreshing to see <laughs> because we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot of that around here in the last several years. I mean, scheme, talent, you know, the scheme's better certainly than it was last year. Doug Peterson, much better play caller, much uh, uh, more accomplished offensive guy in the NFL than Urban Meyer, clearly. Um, and they're better skill player-wise. Christian Kirk is, is going to be their number one wide receiver. and He, caught, uh, he had over 100 yards receiving last week, uh, six balls over 100 yards receiving. Zay Jones adds an element of speed on the outside that they didn't have. And Marvin Jones is, um, you know, the reliable guy that Trevor trusts. And then you add Evan Ingram to the, to the mix as well at tight end, who I still think will be a 50 catch guy here this year. And then all, that, that's options. And they haven't had that. And, you know, if you are dropping back as a quarterback and you don't have the trust that your guys are going to be where they're supposed to be, and you don't have the trust that they're going to be open it makes it hard to win games. It makes it hard to play well. And now that that's seemingly not an issue, that they've got guys that can get open, that that can make the plays and can be uh, or are in spots where they're supposed to be, it makes a world of difference. So the, the it's not an elite group of offensive weapons by any stretch of the imagination, but it is markedly different and markedly better than what they've had in years past. Mike DeRocco is our guest. He is with ESPN Jacksonville covering the Jags. He is on the Payless Liquors guest line. Mike, let's talk defensively about Jacksonville and what the Colts are going to have to contend with because, listen, and I mean this as no disrespect to the Jags who are obviously in rebuild, as we talked about, coming off of kind of the disaster of last year. But from the outside, my perception would be that if there's an area that you really like about them, it would be – They've got young, aggressive, hungry pass rush guys that could give the Colts some fits. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, without question. Um, you know, Trayvon Walker makes a big difference. There's someone on the other side of Josh Allen. You know, last week I think we saw the kind of impact he can make in a game. He had a sack, four tackles, and, and an interception on what was really a phenomenal play from a young pass rusher to break off a pass rush and kind of recognize screen, get over there, and make the play. Because um, normally those young pass rushers, it's 900 miles an hour straight ahead, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. Man, that's the only thing they're thinking about. And for him to recognize that, it was a screen to his side. And, and clearly that's why they ran it to his side, because you're counting on that young pass rusher making that mistake. Um, yeah, that's that's 100 uh, percent, you know, a much more improved pass rush for this team. And, you know, Devin Lloyd, we didn't see much of him do it. He's a, the linebacker, uh, missed almost all camp with a hamstring injury. Uh, he played, a, you know, a lot, led the team in, in tackles as an inside linebacker, but they can use him outside in the pass rush as well. You know, they've got some packages where he's out there on the edge and Trayvon Walker moves down inside, um, you know, so they can kind of do a lot more things in terms of rushing the passer than they were, have been able to before. And Duan Smoot's still on this roster. He's, I think he's had uh, 18 sacks in the last three years. So he's a one of those second-level pass rushers that you know isn't dynamic but will always get you five six seven sacks a year you can kind of count on that if you're the Jags which is kind of refreshing to be honest with you because they've just been so dearth of talent at that spot so it's a much much improved pass rush and and the question is though it's got to be consistent because Trayvon Walker said it last week he's like look I'm the number one overall pick these are the kind of plays I'm supposed to make but I got to start making more of them because there were times when he was not sort of noticeable on the field and he doesn't feel like that's the level of play he should be playing at and he's probably right but I mean that was his first game so you have to kind of be excited if you're the Jags because he's a disruptive guy and that's 
really good for a guy that's raw. I mean, we knew he wasn't going to be a pass rush, you know, technician because he didn't really do that at, at Georgia. So there is optimism that things can get much, much better in that department here. He's Mike DiRocco of ESPN, Jaguars reporter on Kevin and Query on the Payless Liquors guest line. Uh, in your opinion, Mike, what is the ceiling for this defensive unit? Uh, you know, they, they should be better against the run than they were last year. They added Foley Fadakasi from the Jets. Um, and, and, you know, look, if you want to win in this division, you better darn well be good against the run because you've got Jonathan Taylor, you've got Derrick Henry. Um, you know, you don't stop the run. You're going to be in a lot of trouble against those two teams. So um, that's, you know, a thing Devin Lloyd should be able to help with too. Uh, the, you know, the game might have been a little bit too fast for him at first last week, and he did some over-pursuing and um, got found himself out of position. But, you know, you like the athleticism from him, so that should help, you know, against the run game there as well. So, you know, I still think that this defense is, you know, we're not talking a top 10 defense, but if you can be in that, you know, four, or 15 to, to 19, 15 to 20 range, that'll be a significant step forward. The only question is, can they force turnovers? And they got three last week, which was, you know, they, they only forced uh, nine last year. So they've already got a third of their turnover total in the first game of 2022 than they had in all of 2021. So that's a step forward. But again, I think, you know, it's it's baby steps for this franchise. So they'll probably be, if you could be, like I said, in that middle third of defenses in the league, then that's significant progress. I'm sure Jaguars fans obviously know the winning streak that they hold over the Colts. The Colts have not been able to score 20 or more points in their losing streak at Jacksonville. What's the mindset for fans heading into this game? I mean, the Colts fans are apoplectic heading into this game. They're worried. They're nervous. <laughs> especially after the tie against Houston. But what are Jaguars fans' expectations heading into this game? Well, they're, they're surprisingly optimistic after watching them lose last week uh, in Washington because, you know, they were down 14-3 at half, but they clawed back into that game and took a, a, a lead into the fourth quarter, which is not something that has happened around here uh, in a long, long time. I mean, the, the past three or four years, those teams down 14-3 at half would have probably lost that game 28-10 and it wouldn't have been even that close. Um, you know, but they're all aware of, of the streak against the Colts, so you know, the fans down here are like, you know what, we, we blew that one in Washington, should have had it, but we got the Colts, and we always beat the Colts here in Jacksonville now, and, and you know, I would expect that this will be a pretty good crowd and a pretty loud crowd because, uh, you know, it's the home opener here, and they're counting on, they're counting on this as a W, which, you know, is to me is a mistake, but, you know, whatever. They're fans. That's what fans do. Man, I'm counting telling you. Counting on a W. They wow. have to know. Are people there aware, Mike, as to what losing to Jacksonville did to Indianapolis a year ago? And I don't mean from a denying playoffs standpoint. I mean from just a an incredulous anger from the owner and reshuffle so to speak because of that loss are people aware of that oh gleefully so down here in Jacksonville the fans are look that was the only good thing that they got out of last season the only good thing on the field last season was that game and they know that look they don't like the Colts they hate the Titans way more but they don't like the Colts and and for them to get a game like that in the last game of the season to send them into the off season with a lot of optimism as a fan and to know that it cost the Colts their quarterback and it caught just 
irked Robert Ursay to no end. Um, you know, yeah, that they are excited that they were able to do that to the Colts. They look like, like I said, they're looking at this as a W. They're looking, uh, feeling like that they're going to put even more hurt on that franchise there. But yeah, they're excited about this. They understand what they did. Like I said, it was their Super Bowl in a way. You know, there's so little to kind of grab onto uh, with optimism and hope, and that was pretty much the only thing for them to do that with. Listen, it was so irking, and Mike, I'm I'm poking funny here. Uh, mm-hmm. Robert Ursay, Robert Ursay's been gone for 20 years, and it was yeah. such a bad loss it irked even him. So you are correct, actually, right? L- let me tell you something. I. Doug Peterson is the head coach here, and on Twitter uh, on Sunday, I wrote Doug Marone by mistake. <laughs> no, I so, get it, man. I totally I am, get it. I am just ridiculously bad with names at this point in my life, and uh, I need I need a caddy is what I need. <laughs> Listen, I, I mean, it's amazing to me when I think about, you know, somebody will mention like, oh, do you remember the Colts game and, you know, 08 or something and i'll say like now was that when dave craig was playing for kansas city like dude that was 1991 i'm like okay (laughs) whatever right i'm just just, i have the worst memory i mean like if if they didn't have media guides i don't know that i would be able (laughs) to do this job here's the thing do do they even have them anymore because that's another thing mike i'm so old now they're like the media guide is online i'm like can i get a spiral bound notebook please I ask them for spiral-bound game notes every week. I mean, it's just – and it's just, I do it in my personal life, too. It's like I'll call somebody a totally different name that I've known for 10 years, and it's like my wife's like, you got to go to the neurologist. You've got some issues. Can, can we just call you Mark from now on out? And, and, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter at this point. I mean, as long as I get to work and get home okay every day, I think that's hey, a win for me. I'll count that I, a win. I called you Mike Dorico earlier. I'm not going to lie to you. So, you know. Ah, that's just a mispronunciation. That's all right. I can live with that. <laughs> it's how it goes, right? Mark Domino, appreciate the time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you do sound like Mike DeCourcy, too, so it's even further confusing. Oh, gosh. We're just going to have to go with code names, but it's not like I'm going to remember those anyway. <laughs> that's right. He's Jaguars reporter Mike Duraco of ESPN, and we appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Mike, and uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Hey, man, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. See you. Good dude. Love Mike Duraco. Yeah, good dude. I know he covers the Jaguars, but he is always a very easy guy to chat with on the text line and all that stuff. So we'll get more into Colts, Jaguars, plus an interesting note. And by the way, I will say in his his defense, that's a pretty pretty easy thing to do outside of market, right? for sure. Robert Ursay is a huge name within football, and so – you know, whenever people mention Jim Mercer outside of market, nine times out of ten, they're mentioning Robert along with it. So I, I get it. I mean, I totally get it. Appreciate Mike Duraco for the time. An interesting note regarding Colts practice today. Mm. We'll get a little more into that next. Mm. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Good Friday morning to you. It's Kevin and Query. Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen one last day before he returns from paternity leave on Monday. Jay Query here, Sam Fritz on the board. We'll be joined by Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, in just a minute. We just talked about it, though. An interesting note from Zach Kiefer uh, regarding Colts practice today. He tweeted about 30 minutes ago, quote, This is odd. Colts not practicing today. Instead, conducting a walkthrough. Can't remember the last time they cut practice on a Friday outside 
of Saturday game weeks. Buckner, Pittman, Moore, and Pierce have all missed some practice time this week. And Holder, uh, Stephen Holder followed it up and said, yeah, I, he heard that they had unusually physical practices on Wednesday and Thursday, so they're taking a step off the gas. What do you make of that, Jake? I actually think it's smart. I'll be honest with you. Like if, if, if you just do normally walk-ons on Friday, walk-throughs on Friday – or Saturday, whatever it might be. I, you know, look, man. I'm probably the anomaly here, but my thought process—I've always been one under like, what, what are you going to learn through contact and full pads in one day at the professional level that you didn't already know? You can—I would assume you can do it through walkthroughs. I think it's smart. Now, we'll ask Matt Taylor, Matt, who joins us on the Payless Sugars guest line, the voice of the Colts, joining us, Matt. When it comes to the Colts taking uh, the day off, we'll ask you, should we read into that from a health standpoint as to what it means that the Colts are not practicing today? Yeah, interesting question. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll find out later on today from Frank. You know, Frank Reich is going to talk to the media after practice, or in this case, walkthrough. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting move. You know, it doesn't happen very often. I can't remember the last time it's happened in the in the Frank era. Um, so that's going to be interesting to, to hear from him later on today about this move. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to deduce that going into this game. You just want to be as healthy as possible, considering you don't have a huge injury report in terms of length, but it's big in terms of who those guys are, right? Some key players with DeForest Buckner, Pittman, Shaquille Leonard, Kenny Moore is on there as well. Um, so it's it's going to be fascinating to hear, hear kind of how the – um, you know how the Colts got to this point, but I, I do agree with you. I heard, I heard the tail end of your your introduction there. I mean, on a Friday going into a game in the regular season, you know, for lack of a better term, the, the hay's in the barn, and um, yeah, there's really not. I mean, Friday's a light day anyway. I mean, they're, they're not in full pads, and there's not obviously full contact. So it's. I don't think there's going to be a huge difference in terms of intensity and what they get out of the practice, to be quite honest honest with you, compared to a normal Friday. So I don't think it's a huge deal, but we'll, we'll, we'll hear you know how they got there coming up later on this afternoon. It's not a long injury report, but just some key names. So I think, yeah, if you can give those guys an extra day of rest and just kind of take it easy, you do that heading into a division game against the Jaguars. Matt Taylor, uh, who will be kicking for the Colts on Sunday? They've yet to make an announcement of who their kicker will be. Yeah, same kind of thing. I think we'll find out later today. And if it's not today, if the Colts want to take a, another closer look at those guys in practice, you know, or after practice, you know, between McLaughlin or Haversick, um, you know, the last couple of uh, years, you know, I know it's been kind of a COVID thing. You've had COVID call-ups or roster moves, you know, guys being elevated from the practice squad to the active roster. That has normally happened on Saturdays. And time-wise, it's between like noon and one in the afternoon. So we'll see if that's what what happens this weekend. Um, I, I'd be shocked if, uh, you know, we you, you, Frank just came out and told us later on today, but we'll find out because uh, I think the Colts are trying to continue to evaluate that because it's been a short week as far as that's concerned, right, because you made the move on Tuesday. You bring guys in. You sign two guys to the uh, practice squad in this case, and then you're just trying to figure out, their you know uh ceiling you know what what 
what you can do with those guys in terms of length and distance, who's going to handle kickoffs, um, you know, what are, your, what are you trying to accomplish on kickoffs with the coffin corners, you know, who, who can handle those responsibilities, who do you feel comfortable with. So I think they're going to kind of take this slow and use all of the available time they have at their disposal this week as far as that is concerned. Um, but it's two, it's two interesting guys because McLaughlin was here in 19, right? I mean, he's been cut eight times, ten different stops in the NFL with eight different teams, second stop here with the Colts. And then you got Haversick who's just – you know, you know, has has a ton of potential. You know, Arizona guy, but didn't get signed after the draft. Uh, was with the Colts actually during rookie minicamp, but then continued to go unsigned. And I talked to him yesterday in the locker room. He's he's a he's an interesting guy because he was just trying to um, you know set up a new house, um, and he was he moved into a new place in Tucson, I think, with his girlfriend. And then his phone rang, and then he got on you know, a plane and, and rushed here, got to Indianapolis by Tuesday to work out with a handful of other guys. But big leg, you know, consistent over 50 through his college career, made from 57. McLaughlin's been pretty good over 50 in his career. But his bugaboo, at least last year, was between 40 and 49, interestingly enough. So um, don't know just yet. I think we'll probably find out tomorrow afternoon when one of those guys obviously comes up in the practice squad. You know, McLaughlin um... – that kind of s- summarized my media career here in Indy, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like five stops in five different places and, you know, stuck around. I mean, look, you got to be ready when the phone rings, Matt, right? And you were good from deep, too. Could, <laughs> That's right. You could, you could nail him, brother. I, here's the thing, and I'm going to get really Freudian on this. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Um, and, and tell me if you think the Colts thought about this at all, okay? Rodrigo Blankenship was a consistent mid-range guy. We know that. But in terms of the power of the leg, things got a little iffy from 40 or 45 out. We we have evidence of that. I think that maybe works in, in the right situations, except for that when you look right now at the Colts offensively, their bread and butter and how to move the ball and move it in chunks in the fourth quarter is Jonathan Taylor. And the problem is when you're doing that, the clock is running. So you don't have a lot of time to go down and you you can't shorten the field much in late game situations if it comes down to that. So you've got to have somebody that you only need to get to say the 35 or 37 to give yourself a wing and a prayer as opposed to having to get it down to the 20 or 25 because the clock runs against you at that point. Am I way overthinking it? No, I don't think so. And I think I think that's every NFL team. And and, and you are correct. I, I will agree with you in the sense that when the Colts do go no huddle, they're not at all afraid to hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor because you've got numbers, right? You I mean the uh, when you go up tempo, typically you're in a passing formation, you're spreading them out a little bit. So the Colts have the numbers in the box and they can give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. Who, who we saw last week in the fourth quarter ripped off, what was it, four straight runs of at least 13 yards and got them right down the field. Um, so they're not afraid to hammer the ball with Taylor and, and use clock, but also get chunk plays at the same time. Um, but I, I think it, it's just modern-day NFL, Jake. I just think that, I mean, I, I, I say this all the time, and you're probably sick of me saying it because – you know, the Cincinnati Bengals last year, arguably their best player or one of their best players in their run to the Super Bowl last year was their kicker. 
Now, they got some breaks, and they had some moments where, uh, obviously, Joe Burrow had to make some plays. But, I mean, the Tennessee game, uh, the AFC Championship game, he is routinely knocking down huge kicks from 45, 50. And you're right, Rodrigo, just he didn't show that. He didn't have the propensity for that. And, and since 2020, he was just three out of eight on kicks over 46. And, you know, we all – as fans, we typically remember the big moments. And in the big moments, that's where he came up short. And I don't think this is the end of his career by any means. I think this is just the, the first chapter, if you will. He's going to continue on. And, heck, I mean, Chase McLaughlin is living proof that, you know, he might come back here because McLaughlin is back here after being beat out by Rodrigo. Uh, but, you know, you had the 33-yard missed field goal in the playoff game against the Bills couple of missed kicks last year you know one in overtime uh losing to the ravens this kick this past sunday so it's it's such a bottom line business it's what have you done for me lately that's why mclaughlin's back that's why they're experimenting here with haversick it's an important position um and there obviously is a lot of you know inventory out there only 32 jobs and so when you've got a guy that's not steady or showing some inconsistencies especially on kickoffs like rodrigo a change had to be made and now you just try to find the best answer in the in the short term and maybe McLaughlin or Haversick sticks and then they're the long term answer going forward. But no, I, I don't disagree with you because you, you gotta have a weapon at kicker and you gotta have a guy that you feel comfortable with in the two minute drill over the range of forty five. There's no doubt about that. Matt, did you watch any of last night's contest between the Chiefs and the Chargers? I watched the first half, um, and then I had to bail on. I was doing work, and then I just can't stay up late anymore. So uh, I watch. I did watch the first half. My my typical move on primetime games is I watch the first half, work, go to bed, and then get up the next morning and watch highlights on YouTube. That's yeah. that's usually my mode. Uh, listen, a couple of things here. Number one, uh, Al Michaels. When you hear him doing a game, Mark said this earlier. I totally agree. I, it. It could be literally whoever, and it sounds like a big game with Al Michaels doing it. Uh, I thought the broadcast was really good. I mean, it, it was odd for me as an old guy to be like, wait a minute, I forgot this is not like a network television thing. <laughs> but the one thing that jumped out at me was, Matt, the real win for Amazon Prime or for that business model is what they potentially can charge in advertising because while – they may not get the number of viewers at this point because of the fact it's not over the air, quote unquote. Once you're watching it, it takes so long to to get it to come up on your screen. One hundred percent. There's no there's no channel surfing, right? Oh. You're watching it. And you're like, well, I'm locked in now. You know, I mean, I'm here. I mean that that is. I mean, I thought about that last night because I did grab my remote in the second quarter. Uh, kind of a lull in the action, and I was like, "This is such a pain in the butt to get back here." Uh, in a one thousand percent, right? I mean, that's the thing because the commercial breaks are only two minutes, and I'm thinking, "All right, I'm going to check on a college football game or you know whatever." You know, because on on normal TV, you can hit the down arrow or you can hit the channel guide and yeah. just see what's on. Last, right yeah, back. yeah, the last button, right? <laughs> I think I think we're the last generation for the last button. I think, but uh, no, to your point, I, I think you're exactly right. It's just it's a first world problem, a hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised. I don't know if maybe I skirted this or maybe you had the same experience, but I was fully expecting like a pre-roll. You like you hit the you know, the watch button for the for the stream, and you have like a thirty-second ad for a pre-roll. And I don't know if 
I did or didn't have that. I, I didn't pay too much of attention, but that was in the back of my mind is I, I don't want to go away from this and have to come back in time for the commercial break to be over, but then have to watch another 30 seconds of pre-roll before I get this stream, which is all, all of these things are now in the back of our minds. These are all commonplace, whereas five, seven years ago, we, we weren't thinking this way. Another win for Amazon is just their content. Now they can compete now with Netflix and, and Hulu, and they're having promos for their content. They're the new yeah. movies or new TV shows or, or uh, whatever you call it, you know, series um, that, that is streaming on Amazon. They can pub the heck out of that. So um, it, it wasn't incredibly weird, but it was just a new experience of I've got this app on my TV. It's going to be up for the next two hours because it's just too hard to get out of it and come back and see what I want to see. And the other thing, if you're unaware, there's a Lord of the Rings series on Amazon. They showed it 500 times, so now you're fully, you fully. Yeah, they had like the little thing down there a couple of times to show you. Right, there are a few things, by the way, that that would interest me less than Lord of the Rings. All right, there with you. But rings are what you're chasing in the NFL. And the question for you, Matt, as I was watching that game, is. You know, Patrick Mahomes already has one. Justin Herbert, I thought, was outstanding. I mean, he's a bright, bright, bright young talent, 24 years old. And then I got to thinking about just the depth of young quarterbacks in the NFL, and unfortunately, they're all in the AFC. Yeah. You know, does that change the Colts' mindset in terms of the way Chris Ballard builds a roster of, like, win-now mentality versus trying to jump your hat in that fray, if that makes sense? Well, I think they're in a win-now mentality right now. I mean, I think that's why Matt Ryan is here, and that's why you, you know, continuously see the Colts not, you know, overextending themselves with trying to go out and get the franchise quarterback of the future. And I mean, not that they would do that anyways, but Matt Ryan buys them time knowing that the parity in the conference and the young quarterback play is here to stay in the AFC – I mean, just going into the season, you know, there's 16 teams in the AFC. Like, going in prior to last week, you know, not knowing the results of last week, who, who do you cross off? Like, there's seven teams that make the, 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 the playoffs in the conference. As of right now, who, who's, who's not a contender? I mean, Houston, maybe? Uh, the, the Jets? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's 13 to 14 teams that going into week two, still legitimately have a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, a couple of years ago, all seven teams had at least 11 wins. It's just it's, – it's crazy how stacked football is on one side of the ledger. Not to downplay the NFC, but, yeah, all these guys are here to stay, and you're going to have to contend with them. And that's why the Colts are being patient with – the quarterback of the future, drafting him when the time is right. You're probably going to have to move up high in the draft considering the Colts have aspirations of, you know, finishing high with a good record, thus drafting low in the first round. So you're probably going to have to package something either next April or the April after that or pull off a trade for a Russell Wilson, whatever the case is. They're going to have to be bold knowing that if you want to get the guy long term, you're going to have to give up some things, but you have to do that when your uh, assessment is dead on, like this guy is our guy and here's why. You have to feel very confident of that, uh, but then you're also going to, you're going to have to give up some chips to bring that guy in. It's Kevin and Query, voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joining us on the Payless Liquors guest hotline uh, heading into Sunday with the Colts and Jaguars. How important is it for the Colts to just get off to a fast start? Because we saw against the Texans. Right now, just starting slow. How just just for the mental sake of the Colts, how 
important is a fast start for them on Sunday? Yeah, no, it's it's huge. It's spot on. I mean, psychologically, I would love to see this team get off to a fast start. You know, get up ten to nothing. You know, at the end of the first quarter. You know, or something to that effect. I mean, just just. You know, maybe I know the analytics say one thing, but maybe this is a case where you you win the toss and you take the ball and you go down and score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, to psychologically, to your point, Mark, or, or mentally sort of set the tone. Because I think that's kind of what happened last year. The Colts had a huge stop on the first on the first drive of the game for the Jaguars. I think the Colts get a sack on second down with Al Kadeem Muhammad, if memory serves. And then Trevor Lawrence gets a huge third down conversion. They go right down the field, convert a couple of times on third down. They score a touchdown. Boom, it's seven to nothing. And the plan kind of backfired. And then from that point on, it just was an uphill battle for the Colts. And they just didn't play well. They hurt themselves. And again, we don't need to rehash that 26 to 11. So, yeah, I, I would love to see the Colts. And I don't think there's going to be any problem with it, to be honest with you. I think the motivation is going to be there. Plus, guys are still peeved about last week not playing well and tying the Texans and squandering that opportunity. So I think they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be they're going to be mad, um, and, they, and they're going to have – I don't think you know, you're going to have a hard time seeing you know, pads thumping and heads cracking and guys flying to the football. Um, Unique Ngakwe is going back there for the first time as a, you know, an opponent playing the Jaguars. Um, maybe the Colts get Shaquille Leonard back. That will help the defense. I just think you're going to see the Colts have an edge and intensity about them to start the game that maybe they didn't have last week. Matt? Is there concern in protection of Matt Ryan? Uh, no, I mean the guy. What he had fifty plus dropbacks last week, and you know the Colts only gave up a couple of sacks. You know, so I mean, the the way that game went, they had to throw their way back in it, especially in the third and fourth quarter, down by seventeen points. Um, so no, I, I was actually pretty pleased with the protection and the run blocking, with um, you know Matt Pryor getting the start, Danny Pinter starting his first career game at right guard. I was actually pretty pleased and, and happy with the offensive line. And I also thought when his number was called, I've always said this: offensive linemen in the NFL are like rookies in the Indy 500. If you don't hear their name, they probably were doing just fine. And I thought when Ryman was in there, when they and I thought it was interesting that they, you know, they kind of rotated him in. Um, but I thought fine because you're not looking at it going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And and I thought that was uh, a tip of the cap to him. Right. Yeah. And he's going up against Grenard. He's going up against Jerry Hughes. I mean, Hughes specifically, I think, is one of the more underrated guys at his position in the NFL. And he's had just such a long, sustained career over 55 sacks and, you know, now going back to Houston. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, you didn't hear those guys' names when Ryman was in the ball game. Now, granted, it wasn't very long. I think it ended up being like 12 plays at left tackle and four plays as an extra offensive lineman. But you're just trying to indoctrinate him because – we all know he's he's probably the long-term answer at left tackle. So if for, for for whatever reason if Pryor goes down or at the end of the year, let's just say hypothetically, you know Pryor's done with his one-year contract and you have to make a decision there in free agency. Well, you've got 17 weeks of about 12 to 15 plays every week with Ryman. So it's almost like he started a couple of games without starting games, if you get what I'm saying, and thus you feel good about his you know trajectory and, and, and momentum going into the off season where he could potentially be the guy at left tackle. So I actually think it's a it's a smart move for the Colts. Obviously they're not huge high leverage situations, um, you know, kind of in the second quarter, third quarter, but I, I think it's a good move for the Colts to get him snaps and sort of speed up his acclimation to the NFL. 
He's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joining us on Kevin and Query for a few more minutes. Matt, last one for me, two-part question, one on each side of the ball. How big of a concern uh, is the injury report at wide receiver heading into Sunday to you? And also, do you think Shaq Leonard suits up? I feel I feel good about Shaq. I'm going to redeem myself from last week because I think I came on here and said I had a gut feeling that he might play, and he didn't. But I, I do feel better about that this week considering he's been a full participant uh, both days. And then, yeah, wide receiver, listen, I mean, Pittman's been the guy. You know, I think he's going to be seven or eight catches every game. Last week he had nine for a buck 20, um, so that's huge. That's important, plus, you know, the, the uncertainty uh, – excuse me, uncertainty too with Alec Pierce – yeah, depth chart-wise at wide receiver, that's a big storyline later on this afternoon when Frank Reich talks. And then after that, it'd be you know Strawn, it'd be Patman, it'd be Doolin. Do you have to bring somebody else from the practice squad if Alec Pierce can't go? That's a huge storyline going into this game, um, specifically because the Jaguars have been honing all weekend on stopping Jonathan Taylor. The Colts are going to have to win on the outside, and they need people to do that if Pittman and Pierce can't play. Matt, has Michael Pittman, do you think – made because to me visually it appears as though I mean this has definitely happened but how much do you think or where did it what what was the genesis of him making himself a more versatile receiver because he's always been a big target but the thing I like about him now is he can break and all of a sudden go across the middle and be a big body just throw it up possession guy he can kind of get behind and stretch out a little bit you know, I, I just think that he has shown more tools, to use your term, in the toolbox as a receiver than he did at the outset of his NFL career. And where do you think that stems from? I just think that stems from growth. I think it stems from experience. And I, I 100% agree with you. It, it is He is not noticeably bigger, but you can tell he's bigger, stronger, faster, and I think more confident, and he loves playing with Matt Ryan because of the accuracy, and you know I think the scheme helps him get open at times, but also he's winning one, way more one-on-one matchups. The Colts are trusting putting him down by himself in the boundary or lining him up wide, splitting him out where he has to win. Hey, there's going to be I mean, we saw it in, in Houston. There, there are cases where the Colts say, this is not a great play against this defense, but Michael Pittman, you are our guy, and we need you to go out and make a play right now. You've got to win your matchup, and the ball is coming your way. It's going to be a contested catch. You need to make it for us on third down or around the, the, the end zone or the goal line. And he, he's just thriving in those situations. And so I, I just think it's continued development and growth and going into year number three and just having a lot of confidence in himself, the Colts having a ton of confidence in him, the bonafide number one guy, and then also playing with an elite quarterback like Matt Ryan. All of those things, I think, have contributed to him being – you know, camp standout, a preseason standout, and a guy right away in game number one that catches nine passes and is a huge catalyst in that fourth quarter comeback. I lied, Matt, before we let you go. I got one more question. Uh, prediction for Sunday. I'm going to say it's a tight game. Um, you know, the Jaguars are – they're nothing to sneeze at at all. I think they're better than Houston. I think they're obviously better than the Jaguar team last year. They're deceptively better on both sides of the football you know, big uh, off-season acquisitions with Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and then on defense, Foyer, Olakun, uh, Trevon, Trayvon Walker, the first pick out of Georgia, had a, I mean, what a breakout game he had with a tackle for loss, a pick, a sack in his first game, national championship player out of Georgia, as I said. I'm going to say it's a close game, but I'm, I'm, th- I'm saying the Colts win 
and a nail biter. It's like 28-24, 31-28, somewhere in there. But it's going to be a great game, and the Colts finally break through for the first time since 2014 in Northern Florida. Jaguars reporter Mike Draco, who we had on a little early in the show, just tweeted this out: Jaguars are five and thirty in their last thirty-five games. Three of those victories have come against the Colts. Yeah, since twenty-eight, since twenty-eighteen, they're four and four against the Colts and 11 and 47 against everybody else voice of the Colts Matt Taylor he'll be on the call on Sunday we'll be listening Matt appreciate the time as always we'll talk to you next week uh, you got you got it guys have a good weekend see you buddy it's Matt Taylor on the Payless Liquors guest line time for a morning check down the morning check down brought to you by Ball State football get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with college football, taking a look at the slate of games coming up tomorrow. You just heard Ball State. They're going to be home against Murray State, 2 o'clock up in Muncie, Schumann Stadium. Plenty of tickets still available. Would love to see you up there to see the cards taking on Murray State. Indiana's got Western Kentucky. Uh, Tom Allen decided not to clear his throat, but did want to talk about Western Kentucky's offense. Very, very high-powered offense that we're playing against, number one in the country a year ago. And uh, they have the same scheme, a lot of the same receivers. And so uh, just, uh, uh, yeah, we need that leadership to show up. Obviously got to be able to have a lot of guys contribute. Starts up front with being able to do a good job of getting pressure, not letting their quarterback feel comfortable, and doing a good job of, of uh, making sure that he, uh, he, he feels us mentally and physically. So that's going to be the objective. Has anyone ever actually ever heard Tom Allen's real voice? There's always just like he just got done <laughs> screaming at people. <laughs> he just, it feels just one big, Throat clear is all we need there, right? Just a little bit. A uh, Purdue and Syracuse, maybe. by the way, and Notre Dame taking on the Golden Bears of California. I appreciate you calling. I'm not interested in direct TV. Thank you. <laughs> is that what he sounds like? I'm just assuming that's how he answers the phone and stuff, too. Week two kicked off last night. Chiefs edged the Chargers 27-24. The big play, the turning point in the game, Jalen Watson intercepting Justin Herbert. 99-yard interception return for a touchdown. Chiefs move to 2-0. They'll go for 3-0. and Next Sunday, when they take on the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in the home opener for Indianapolis. So we'll see how that goes. We've got the pop quiz coming up. Real quick, some baseball scores. Reds edge the Cardinals 3-2. to White Sox got a must-win over the Guardians 8-2. to Rays shut out the Blue Jays 11-0. First time all nine position players were of Latin descent. Astros over the Athletics 5-2. to Indianapolis Indians fall the Toledo Mud Hens 12 to 3. It's a freebie Friday uh, for the hey, Mark, Quiz. What do you got? We still got a little bit more to get to here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry about you that. You want to talk some racing, don't you? I do. Well, we, get on the line, though, for the Pop Quiz. We got 239-1070 freebie Friday, Jiffy Lube prize pack, and a four pack of Speed Drum tickets. What, Jake? You, you have Speed Drum stuff. I do have Speed Drum stuff. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at the racing schedule. NASCAR is in Bristol. That's going to be a 7.30 race on Saturday night. Formula One is off this week, and, of course, the IndyCar season is complete. We now know that Will Power is your season champion after Alex Pillow won the season finale last week. But, again, Cup in Bristol. But that is not the only racing of the weekend because tonight, everything, final USAC Sprint Race in Indy, this Friday, that's tonight, at Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. The return of the biggest names in USAC, Amsoil National Sprint Cars, running in the dirt. There is nothing quite like, folks, nothing quite like, especially this time of year, a beautiful early fall, late summer. I know technically it's still summer evening. And just watching the cars go sliding through on the dirt. That's what you get at Circle City Raceway, all presented by Masson and Kane Warehousing Services. Brady Bacon, C.J. Leary, points leader Justin Grant, all going to be racing 
all slated tonight at Circle City Raceway. Family-friendly, great food, free parking, outrageous fun. You can find out all of the information, including tickets, at CircleCityRaceway.com. And don't forget, tomorrow night, the craziest and wildest Saturday night of the year is the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. It's the return of the school bus figure eight racing, an insane trailer figure eight race capped off by the carnage of a Speedrome Demo Derby. A full night of racing on the historic Fifth Mile Oval, Indianapolis Speedrome, again, an institution of racing in Indianapolis. It's family-friendly, also with free parking and great food and outrageous fun. They want to make sure that your kids are enjoying racing and that you're enjoying it as a family. For ticket information, find it all at speedrome.com. Pop Quiz is next.